If my goal as a speaker or as a preacher is to please men, then my goal would be to, to fill a 30,000 person auditorium. And so if I wanted to do that, I would not preach any of the harsh parts of the Bible. I would not tell somebody to turn away from their sin. I would not tell somebody that living um, together out of wedlock is a sin. I would not tell somebody that abortion is a sin. I would not tell somebody that God's definition of marriage is one man, one woman for a lifetime because he created marriage as a testimony of the relationship between Christ and his church. I wouldn't bring up any of those controversial issues. But you know what? I'd rather speak to 12 people who embrace the gospel and who are headed to heaven than 30,000 people who had their ears itched because I told them what they wanted to hear and ended up in hell. So today's message is basically a defense of the Gentiles. Last time we talked about how these Judaizers came down um, from Judea and taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And this is a big deal for a couple reasons. First of all, because the majority of believers, <clears throat> believers at this time were Jews. <clears throat> but they were starting to get Gentile converts into the churches. And so this is the first major controversy that the church itself is facing. And so last week, um, we talked about how Paul um, had a contention with the Judaizers and was reasoning with them. And this week we're going to see a defense of the Gentiles from the brothers that actually had seen God work in the Gentiles. So we're going to start with verse 12. And this is Peter... And he's going to give his testimony of what occurred. So the first um, point that we find here is that Peter is going to relate his story. And I love this for a variety of reasons. But the biggest reason is because nothing speaks louder than a personal story. You know, sometimes we get caught up in theology and getting the theology right. And I'm not saying that theology isn't important. We need to rightly divide the word of truth. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But if we are more concerned with getting people swayed to our theological bent than we are to the one of whom our theology should be centered, then we are wrong. It's all about Jesus and what he does for us. And I can sit up here and rattle off a bunch of scriptures 
But the most important thing about Jesus is when I met him, I was one way. And now I'm completely different. Because he made all the difference. That is the most important thing. And so, Peter is not giving a third person account. He is giving a first person account. And saying, these things happen. And this is my experience. So let's read um, Acts 15, 12 to 14. You hear about God's work among the Gentiles. Acts 15, 12 to 14 reads, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God has wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon had declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And before we go further, I'm just going to open in a word of prayer really quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you First of all, that you have taken a remnant of Gentiles into your church. You've grafted us in. And Lord, I thank you for that. And I pray that as we continue to dig into this passage, that we would um, be blessed and that you would be honored and glorified by what we have to share today. And so, James... Um, is saying here that Peter gave testimony that the that God had, had wrought a miracle in the Gentiles. Remember, this is referring to Cornelius because Cornelius was a just man. He was doing alms before God. He was seeking God with his whole heart. Remember, Jesus said something important. He said, if you seek, you will find. That's why we can confidently say that a lot of seekers today are not true seekers. Because Jesus didn't say, if you seek, you may find. He said, if you seek, you will find. So we know that a true seeker will find Jesus. And so God sent Peter to tell Cornelius the gospel. And Cornelius responded. And God began a work in the Gentiles. But we even have seen a little bit of that in the Old Testament with people like Rahab and Ruth, that God had some Gentiles that he welcomed into the fold of Israel and even the family tree of our very Lord and Savior. And uh, so James is, is setting up this situation where he is saying the, the Gentiles are beginning to believe it is real and Peter testified of this. And I know for most of us change can be difficult and I think for, for the Jews it had to be hard to leave behind all the rules of Judaism for salvation. That's a lot of what Hebrews is about is the Jewish believers 
time and thinking about going back to Judaism and the writer of Hebrews, whoever they are, um, says if you go back, then you crucify the Son of God afresh because Jesus has already died for you. The penalty's been paid. There's nothing in the law that can persuade you and give you enough, that can give you enough righteousness to um, be righteous before God. And so that is the framework upon which we are embarking on this story because the Jews are coming here saying we had to do all this stuff in order to be right before God. And now you're saying that people can just, you know, get in without having to do any of this work. Um, and so... We are being, they are being told this very real story about what has happened in the lives of the Gentiles. And this is something that was prophesied. Let's look by way of cross-reverence at Luke 2.25-32. Luke 2.25-32. If someone gets there, if they could read it for us, that would be great. So notice he says there, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. So he's thinking about the Gentiles, even as Jesus comes. And remember, we can go all the way back to Genesis, chapter 12, when God tells Abram to get out from his kindred and from his country and go to a land where I will show you. What does he say to him in verse 3 of, of Genesis chapter 12? He says, In you, in your seed, will all the nations of the the world be blessed. So God always had a worldwide outlook for salvation. Um, and he, so even though people try to circumvent his will, he always gets his will accomplished, even if it's not in the way he may have wanted to. I think God wanted the Jews to be an example and a light to the Gentiles. And it turns out today that in many cases the Gentiles are being lights to the Jews. Yeah. And uh, But either way, the gospel is going forth, and that is an exciting thing. So, as we think about this, I, I often think about um, the way we can be sometimes, and we say, well, this person... You know, we often have this attitude of this person won't ever come to faith in Christ. 
But if we realize how, where we were before we came to Christ, we can realize that God is in the person-changing business and hopefully um, keep praying for the people in our lives to come to know the life-changing uh, difference that Jesus Christ can make. And um, I, because we know the difference that um, Jesus made in our lives, and this this James referred to in Acts chapter fifteen, by the way, is the brother of Jesus, because James, one James, James the apostle, had already been killed. We saw that with Herod. And then Peter was attempted to be killed, but he was rescued. And, but it's interesting that even though James was a half-brother of Jesus, that he referred to himself, when he wrote the epistle of James, how did he refer to himself? A bond servant of Jesus. So he understood the, the place that God had placed him in as a servant of Jesus. And we see a similar tone from Jude, the brother of Jesus, in the book of Jude. These brothers that at one point did not believe on him later came to faith. Um, and it's very possible that, you know, at the time of his crucifixion, they still hadn't believed on him as Messiah. Because if you remember, God said, Jesus said on the cross to John, I want you to take my mother. And and she'll become your mother and you'll become her son. Why? Because he trusted John to take care of his mother. And as the oldest son, it was his responsibility to provide for his mother. And so I just wanted to put out that little tidbit there as we're thinking about these things. And uh, so as we continue on, Um, we are going to Acts 15, 15 to 18, and James is going to show, share with us another prophecy um, that uh, shows that Gentiles are accepted in the Beloved, in, the, uh, in God's plan, that Gentiles are loved and accepted by God. So let's look at, um, Gen or let's look at Acts chapter 15, Verses 15 to 18. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written, After this I will return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth these things, known unto God are all his works, from the beginning of the world. So James is laying down this prophecy, and he's saying that there will be a residue of men that seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called. And so he's saying there will be people that I will call out from the Gentiles. Remember Jesus said, when he's talking about that he's the shepherd of the sheep, he said, I have sheep that are what? That are not of this fold. And uh, so he's giving a little foreshadowing to the disciples about what he is, is 
about and what he's seeking to accomplish. But I found as I was studying um, that Thomas Constable said that there are three views of this passage. So I'm just going to read through these for you and then um, have some concluding thoughts on this particular issue. It says, some interpreters believe that James meant that the inclusion of the Gentiles in the church fulfilled God's promise through Amos. As Lenski says, these are generally amillennial. Interpreters see the church as fulfilling God's promises to Israel. This view seems to go beyond what Amos said, since his prophecy concerns the tabernacle of David, which literally interpreted would involve Israel, not the church. A second group of interpreters believe that James meant that God would include the Gentiles when he fulfilled his promise to Israel in the future. However, there is no question among the Jews that God would bless the Gentiles to Israel in the future. The issue was whether he would do this apart from Judaism, and this interpretation contributes nothing to the solution of that problem. This view does not seem to go far enough. A third view is that James meant that the present inclusion of Gentiles in the church is consistent with God's promise to Israel through Amos. The present salvation of the Gentiles apart from Judaism does not contradict anything Amos said about the future Gentile blessing. This seems to be the best interpretation. So James is talking about the here and now. God said Gentiles were going to be added to the church, and this is what ha what's happening here. And that does indeed seem to be, to me, the best interpretation, because I do believe that God still has a special plan for Israel. I don't understand it fully, but God, even though he has allowed Israel to suffer much at the hands of other people um, in various forms throughout history, remember Paul, what did Paul tell us in Romans? He said, pray for the peace of Israel. And so we need to continue to do that and believe that God has a plan for Israel, and that as Gentiles we can be grateful that we have been grafted in, and that he has a plan for us as well. If we could look um, at Romans 15, 8-12, Romans 15, 8-12, So again, we see that God's purpose in the scriptures is for unity. You notice Paul is not just writing a new truth here. He's quoting from the prophets. I think sometimes we can discount the Old Testament and not realize that it has a lot to say to us as Gentiles. And he wants Gentiles to re re 
rejoice, and to be united with Israel. So unity is a very important thing. And as these disciples are trying to figure out how do we incorporate um, this people into what we are doing, it can be a real challenge to get it right um, or to, to feel like you're respecting um, everyone. Because one thing that he's going to get into as he talks about the, the restrictions that he puts on the Gentile believers is that part of the reason for it is to respect the people that are there and they are in or coming from a Jewish background. Because it's important to respect our Jewish brethren and where they came from, while at the same time fully embracing the gospel and not adding anything to it. An old gospeler once advised his younger brethren to preach a full gospel, Christ and nothing less. A plain gospel, Christ and nothing more. A pure gospel, Christ and nothing else. A preacher once said, I preached philosophy and men applauded. I preached Christ and men repented. I saw a meme on Facebook this past week and it said, Preach the full truth and nothing but the truth, whether it fills a room or empties a room. And that's my paraphrase, because I can't remember the exact wording. But the idea was that the truth doesn't change. Remember the hymn that we sing a lot of Sundays? Yesterday, today, forever, what? Jesus is the same. The methods may change. Obviously, we can incorporate technology and do all kinds of interesting stuff to get the message out. But the message stays the same. And Paul said that if anybody preach another gospel, then what was preached to you by us, even if it were an angel come down for heaven, think about that, even if it were an angel come down for heaven, let them be a curse. And I've been going through a series on my podcast about um, lies and, and heresies that the modern that some of the modern church embraces and we base them in talking about this, this concept as a whole of Christian humanism this idea that we can take Christian principles and, and allow non-believers to incorporate them into their life but what does Paul say having a form of godliness but denying what the power thereof and one of the issues that comes up is some people will say, well, people like Mormons are Christians. But remember what this verse said. It said, if someone preaches to you another gospel, even if an angel comes down from heaven to give it to you, let them be accursed. What's the premise of Mormonism? The premise of Mormonism is that the angel Moroni came to Joseph Smith and gave him another gospel. And I've, I've realized through my study of the Mormon church that not only do they use the Book of Mormon as a supplement to the Word of God, but they elevate it above the Word of God. And so that verse in Galatians speaks directly to that. Do not add to the Christian faith. 
What did Paul say the gospel was? That Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and rose again according to the scriptures. Now obviously we, we need theological training beyond that. But when you're preaching the gospel to unbelievers, if you hit those three points and you let the Holy Spirit work, you've done your job. And I think that's so important for us to remember because so many people, even in the name of God, they try to add things to the Word of God. They try to try to say, well, there needs to be more that we need to do. But what did Jesus say? He said, come unto me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He wants us to rest in Him. Our third point, James gives his recommendation to the council. This is Acts 15, 19 to 22. Acts 15, 19 to 22. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they should abstain from the pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then it pleased the, the apostles and the elders of the whole church to send chosen men of their company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas chief men among the brethren. So, I, I like what James says here in verse 19, Wherefore my sense is that we trouble not them, which are from among the Gentiles, are turned to God. In other words, he's saying, don't turn them into you. It's not important that they become like you. It's important that they become like Jesus. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember as we're evangelizing and discipling people, that we don't want people that we're evangelizing and discipling to become like, like us. I don't want people to, to follow my ministry, support my ministry, be edified by my ministry so they can become more like me. I want them to become more like Christ. Because one day I'm going to be dead and buried in the ground unless the rapture happens first. But the living God is still going to be about his work. He's still going to be making changes in the lives of men. Because that's where the power is. And one significance of what he says here in verse 21 about Moses being preached in the synagogues, Charles Ryrie said this, he said, Moses from ancient generation has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Moses stands for the Pentateuch, or the Torah, which was preached and read. In these sitting, settings, the Jews, whether believers or not, would be understandably sensitive to certain practices. Recall that the first place Paul would go in, to in a, in a new Roman city would be the Jewish synagogue. So these restrictions for Gentiles were mostly about respecting their Gentile brethren or their Jewish brethren. 
For we write to them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. Remember why the Jews were not supposed to eat the blood? It was because the life is in the blood. So they were basically saying to the Gentiles, in at least three out of four of these cases, these are things you can do to respect your Jewish brethren. Paul would say in Romans that we should defer to our weaker brothers. There are things that are lawful, Paul said, but they're not expedient. There are things that I could do, but if people are watching me and I'm a role model to them, maybe I shouldn't do them because I might do it in moderation, but they might use it as an excuse to do it in excess. I believe he's come a long way since the SAD campaign, but I'll never forget as a teenager watching TV and seeing a shoe ad by Charles Barkley who said, famously, I am not a role model. But I am here to tell you that no matter who you are or what stage in your life you are, you are a role model to somebody. There is somebody who looks at your life and says, that's the way I want to live. So the question is not, am I a role model? The question is, what am I modeling? And what was it that Paul said? He said, imitate me. But why was he able to say imitate me? Because the end of that phrase was, as I also imitate Christ. So that was his um, caveat was, because I am imitating Christ, because I am sold out to Christ, I can confidently say to you, imitate me. And that's the testimony that I desire, and I pray that it's a testimony that you desire, because people will imitate us, whether we want them to or not. And so, as the Jews and the Gentiles are getting used to each other, James is simply saying, we need to accept one another, we need to live with one another, we need to respect one another, and we need to do it out of love. Um, because if we're going to reach our Jewish, if, if we are going to bridge the gap between the unbelieving Jews and um, the believing Jews and the Gentiles, the way to do it is to respect their customs. Their customs aren't going to fall away automatically overnight. And I believe that for some of the Jews, their customs didn't never totally fall away. I don't think there's any anything wrong with a completed Jew, one who has accepted Jesus as Messiah, to celebrate the Jewish holidays as long as they're not finding their salvation in doing so. And I tend to believe that Peter, being the type of person that he was, spent the majority of his life eating kosher. But the thing that he needed to know, the thing that he needed to be aware of, is that if he was with a Gentile brother, he could waive those kosher requirements. If his Gentile brother set a pig before him, he could enjoy it. 
because there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. And now we are brothers. So God's not saying you aren't Jews. He's just saying you need to accept the Gentiles. And these are the provisions because it's all about Jesus. Remember what we said? A full gospel is Christ and nothing less. A plain gospel is Christ and nothing more. A pure gospel is Christ and nothing else. And if we remember those three points, it will go a long way. We can look at Galatians um, 1, 6 to 10. Galatians 1, 6 to 10. And that last verse, or that last part of the passage, is important too, because what does Paul say? He said, is my goal to please men or to please God? If my goal as a speaker or as a preacher is to please men, then my goal would be to, to fill a 30,000 person auditorium. And so, if I wanted to do that, I would not preach any of the harsh parts of the Bible. I would not tell somebody to turn away from their sin. I would not tell somebody that living um, together out of wedlock is a sin. I would not tell somebody that abortion is a sin. I would not tell somebody that God's definition of marriage is one man, one woman for a lifetime because he created marriage as a testimony of the relationship between Christ and his church. I wouldn't bring up any of those controversial issues. But you know what? I'd rather speak to 12 people who embrace the gospel and who are headed to heaven than 30,000 people who had their ears itched because I told them what they wanted to hear and ended up in hell. Denying the truth or not speaking about the truth does not make it not the truth. Jesus told the Pharisees who were thought to be the most religious people of the day, you are of your father the devil. Because he knew that to be true in their hearts. He was not afraid to share the truth. Now, did that make him popular with them? No. Because they took up stones to stone him. As would almost anyone who was confronted with that truth. Unless they were what? Unless they were struck by the truth of the words through the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what happened to Paul. Jesus came to Paul personally 
He said, What are you doing, Paul? And Paul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Incidentally, that's why he could be called an apostle. Some denominations call their preachers apostles today, but the distinction between an apostle and one who is simply a disciple is one is someone who had an, a direct encounter with the living, physical Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus, but I did not have the privilege of being an apostle. The apostles wrote down their experiences for us here in the Bible so that we could learn from them so that we could grow, so that we could be better. Through, once again, the Holy Spirit. It's not about us making ourselves better. We were dead, and now we're alive in Christ. Dead people can't make themselves better. A dead person can't make themselves undead. But Jesus can make the dead come alive. Oh, how unlocked. How, oh, how unlike the complex works of men, heaven's easy, artless, unencumbered plan, unencumbered plan, no mysterious graces to beguile, no clustering ornaments to clog the pile, from ostentatious as from weakness free, it stands like the Corillian arch we see, majestic in its own simplicity, inscribed above the portal from afar, Conspicuous as the brightness of a star, legible only by the light they give, stand the soul-quickening words, believe and live. Too many shocked at what should charm them most despised the plain direction and are lost. And that is from William Cowper. See, we look for all these things that we can do to attain heaven. But the Bible tells us that no one is righteous, no, not one, that our righteousnesses are as, are, is, are as filthy rags, and that the only way to righteousness is through Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message. Lord, we pray that you would be with us and help us to apply uh, it where we need to that we would um, be more vigilant with the truth of the scripture, that we would share the loving grace of God with others, and that they would know your love by looking at us and by our love for one another. That's what Jesus said. He said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And we pray that that would be true of us, and we pray that it would extend throughout this community, throughout this state, and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.